Father God, we thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity to come together and worship you, to sing of your goodness. And God, we recognize today that even in this moment that, that we have received so much from you, but it didn't come without a, it didn't come without a cost. There was a heavy price for us to be able to be here today and worship you and, and experience all that you have to offer, all of your love and grace and forgiveness. God, we know it cost you the, the very blood of your son, Jesus. And so, God, we, we sit here today and humbly remember him as we remember those who, uh, in his wake, have given their lives for others. So, Father, God, bless us and our time together today. Help us to consider the love that has been shown and shared for us, the blood that's been spilled for us. Help us to consider the great sacrifice of your son, Jesus, as, as we enter into these words and we pursue a life of, of, of following Jesus, as we, as we set him up as our example. Father, God, let us consider him. We love you. In your son, Jesus' name, everyone together says... Amen. Amen. So today uh, we're going to be in First uh, Peter chapter two. We've been in a teaching series called "The Good Life," straight out of First uh, uh, and Second Peter. And and I just want to read an extended piece of uh, of scripture to you today. So we're going to begin in chapter two, verses four through ten. So it's it's a little bit long. So some of those those of you who have been on long flights, I know it's just tough. Just hang in there. Um, but uh, this is uh, man. I can't help but be a little bit romantic about First Peter. These words are so rich and nourishing. So I just want to—I want to read them over you, and then we'll just spend a few minutes digging into them. He begins in verse four of chapter two: "You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple." What's more, you are his holy priest, and through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. He says, once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Man, I hope you'll you'll spend time in these words, and we actually have a reading guide for you to follow along and meditate on these words every week, because there's no chance for me getting into all of it. Uh, but but I want to begin by a question uh, with with a question like. Uh, in this in this text, he Jesus uh, or Peter, sorry Peter rather, is referencing stones and cornerstones and living stones, and uh, and so it just made me uh, want to ask, like like, are any of you out there builders? Do I have any contractors that go to our church? Is Franklin? They're all working today. Um, 
Uh, maybe I'll ask you this way. Do any of you like to build stuff? No. No one. Okay, there's three. Three brave. Um, so uh, I, don't, I don't mind building some stuff. I don't mind re- repairing some stuff uh, when, my, when my wife gives me per- permission. Um, but uh, what about masons? Do we have any masons out there? Oh, okay. Kind of. One, one's like tentatively. So there's, there's a bunch of stuff that I, that I will get into uh, I, that, I, that I'll dive into some different work projects or repair projects. But, but masonry is different. I, I've done a little bit of masonry, but, but what I know about masonry is that it's, it's not like putting Lego bricks together. Like stone and brick and, and mortar, there's, there, there's something just different about it. And we drive around and we see buildings that are, that are stone and, and brick and have all these, these pieces to it. And like, like all of us can com- comprehend how one brick stacks and one stone stacks, how we get it. But, but like, have you ever really tried it? Like, like masons work for years to achieve like, uh, to, to be qualified and, and to be proficient in this. Um, masonry is one of those things, like it's, it, it's, it's part craft, like so there's a craft to it, but there's also an art to it. And I think you can tell when you see it. When you and I look at a pile of bricks or rocks, like we may not see much, but a mason sees what could be, Right? He sees the nuances of every stone. He sees how they all fit together. And he sees that he recognizes that each one has a role to play. And no stone in a pile of stones is more important than the cornerstone. I was talking to my brother about this. My brother actually is building science. He actually is a contractor, a builder, all this kind of stuff. He, he's way better than I am. Um, and, and I said, man, help me understand this cornerstone idea. And he, the first thing he said was, he said, well, what you need to know is that masons start at the corners. They don't start in the middle and work out, but, but the corners are, are, are the pillars of, of every structure. Even if it doesn't have a central pillar, the corners are, are the pillars of the corner are the most important part uh, of your structure. And the cornerstone is probably the first stone place. Uh, it, it's, it's the truest in, in this pile of stones. The cornerstone is the truest stone in the pile. The stone by which all other stones are, are compared and aligned. It's the stone that determines whether your walls or your structure will be true or not. And in this passage, like Peter uh, quotes several Old Testament passages about stones and cornerstones. Uh, one way to translate it maybe is not just a cornerstone, but a keystone. You guys know what a keystone is. If maybe you've ever seen a stone arch, you have these two sides of an arch that come up, and the keystone is that one stone right in the middle. That's the, that's the importance of a cornerstone. It, it holds the whole thing together. Like you can have all these great stones stacked up, but if you're missing that keystone, you're missing like, like the essential ingredient. And Peter says in chapter 2, reminds us maybe that Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the keystone of God's temple here in this place. Now, Imagine a mason standing ready to build a structure with a pile of stones. Like it would be ludicrous or crazy to think that, that he would somehow fall or stumble over the cornerstone. 
But that's kind of some of the language that Peter uses. Imagine that there's a pile of stones here, a mason sees them all, but he doesn't recognize the most important stone. And he's going back and forth. He's trying to build his corner. He's trying every other stone. Have you ever been in that place where you try everything except for the one that will work? Like it's, it's, it's really a crazy example that maybe in this pile of stones, like the, the cornerstone, the keystone isn't, isn't even recognized. Um, my wife, I don't think my wife's in here. My wife always loses her phone. Is that familiar to you? Um, she's, she's always like 12 times a day. She says, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? So the loving husband that I am, I started hiding it. That'll teach her. Don't tell her. Um, so it's not lost. It's hidden. Um, and, and what always happens is where is her phone? It's, it's always right there. It's always right there in front of her. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever had that experience? Like that thing you're looking for, you know, looking for your glasses and they're on your head. I had one of our teenagers looking for her contacts forever and ever and ever. She was wearing them. You know, like, and, and Peter kind of uses some of this language about Jesus. He says, he says, Jesus, this cornerstone, this keystone. And if you can imagine this like essential ingredient, like the, the most important piece of the puzzle is right there in front of you. And somehow, somehow you don't see it. Even, even some of you are tripping over it and falling over it. And you still don't recognize its importance. He even says that, that in, in some cases, this cornerstone, this keystone, the most important stone, not only were they not recognizing it, they were rejecting it. They were throwing it out. And in verse 4, Peter says, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He says he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Peter says, look, I, I, I know it sounds crazy that, that it could be right there, right there in front of us, and we could still miss it. Peter says, I know it sounds crazy, but the powers of the world flung Jesus aside as useless, but God has destined him for the most honorable and important place. All right, so are you with me? Jesus is the cornerstone. You got it? Jesus is the central ingredient. We need him to hold everything else together. He gives alignment to every other piece. Now, Peter takes it a little step further. Look in verse 5. Look what he says. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. All right, so uh, maybe we were more comfortable with the idea, okay, Jesus is important, Jesus is a priority, Jesus is essential, Jesus is the cornerstone of what God is doing on earth. I'm, I'm okay with that. Peter even himself experienced some of this language. I don't know if you remember. I, I imagine Jesus and Peter face to face. Uh, Jesus says to Peter, Matthew 16, 18, he says, you are Petra, which means rock. And upon this rock, upon you, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So we're okay with like Peter being a part of this plan and, and clearly Jesus is a part of God's plan. But what about us? He says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. I don't know, uh, the temple maybe is a hard, hard concept for us 
but if you look in the Old Testament, the, the, the temple was, was a tent first. It traveled with the people. When God's presence was there, it was filled with smoke, right? Um, I, I think if our church today was filled with smoke, the fire department would come. But it was a sign of, it was a sign of God's presence. Later, this, this tent that traveled with the people became, became a permanent structure. And, and what it represented was heaven on earth. The temple, the tabernacle was the place where all of God and who he is came and, and touched base with earth. And Peter says, God is still building his temple. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's still bringing his presence to earth. But this temple is, isn't built out of rocks or fabric. And he says, it's built out of you and me. He says, you are living stones. You, the church, believers, God is using you. Sometimes I hear people tell me about, you know, sometimes I'm talking to people about their faith, and they say, well, I'm doing my own thing. I've got my own faith. I don't have a church. I don't have a, I don't have a whatever. And I'm, I'm thinking, no, that's not how this works. Living stones, we, how can one stone be a temple or a building, right? So when Peter calls us living stones, when he calls his listeners living stones, he reminds them, hey, that you have a role to play. You're, you're a part of this bigger picture. And God wants to use you to accomplish and achieve his purpose on earth. I just finished a C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. So I know you guys have, have heard a lot of C.S. Lewis recently. Um, C.S. Lewis, uh, in, in Mere Christianity, he talks about uh, 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 despicable people and good people. And uh, he, he actually says that, that it's easier for despicable people to become Christians, to become followers of Jesus, than for good people. Um, it's, it's easier for despicable people than for good people. And so you say, okay, well, that's, that's curious. What, what do you mean? And the example he uses is a house. He said, each of us are a house. Imagine, imagine that, that we're a structure with walls and doors and windows and lights and the, and the whole nine yards. And he said, a despicable person already knows that their house is, is corrupted and rotting and falling down. And it's easy for a despicable person to invite Jesus in because everything within is already despicable and bad and ugly and broken. And so when the good comes out of that despicable person, they always recognize that it is God working through them. Are you with me? But he says, it is much harder for a good person to invite Christ in. When a good person invites Christ in, it's because we imagine that our house overall, that ourself overall is good. Maybe we have some things that need repaired or repainted. Maybe there's some part of us that needs to be retouched. And so we invite God in and we invite Jesus into our lives as, as a good person. And we, we show him our, our house and say, mostly our house is good. We're in good standing. We, we have a good home. Here are the three areas. Here's our to-do list. Here are the few areas that need repair. And what C.S. Lewis says is like, like the good person begins to have these really incredibly startling realization. And the, starting real, the first realization is, that, is when Jesus begins to come in and not work on your to-do list of what's broken, but he just begins to knock down walls. 
With a sledgehammer, he comes in and he knocks down doors and he starts knocking, knocking out framing and tile and flooring. And the first like crazy realization for good people who want to be followers of Jesus Christ is that the corruption goes way deeper than we could ever imagine. Is that the brokenness is deeper than we thought. Like we assumed ourselves to be good and then Jesus comes in and he begins to peel back the layers and show the truth that even our foundation is questionable. The next realization is that, that hits us is that as Jesus has been kicking in doors and walls, you realize that Jesus hasn't come to repair the house but to have it down. He hasn't come to fix one or two little things, but he's come to demolish it completely. This is hard for a good person. The next realization is that Jesus begins to build. After he has had you down completely, demolished you completely, he begins to build a whole new structure, and you think, oh man, this is great. He's giving me a new house, but the truth is, he's not building a house for you. He's building a house for him. When Peter says, you are living stones, he says, God is making you into that place where heaven and earth meet. Are you with me? But he doesn't stop there. In verse 9, he talks about our chosenness. He says, for you are a chosen people. Not only are you a living stone that God is, is, is tearing down, building up, not for you, but for him. But he says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. If you look in this passage again and again, he uses this language of, of ownership. He says, you are chosen, a chosen people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, people dedicated to God, a nation for him, his special possession. Uh, I, I love that he used that word, possession. Uh, any of you do, you, do you like going to museums? Do any of you like that? Like that kind of stuff? So museums are, are curious because museums are full of ordinary things, right? Right, like uh, if you go to a museum, like have you, have you guys ever been to the Biltmore? I guess that qualifies as kind of a museum. So I went to the Biltmore and there was this chess set in the Biltmore. And it was a chess set and it was, it was a nice chess set, but it was just a chess set. But the reason that chess set was there and kind of on display, it had the, you know, it's important, it has the ropes around it, right? <laughs> the reason that that chess set was special was not because it was a special chess set. The reason it was special was because it was possessed, that it was owned by Napoleon. Right, so think about it. If you go into even the museums here around Franklin in this area, you'll see, see bullets and antiques and you'll see all of these things, right? You'll see eyeglasses and all this kind of stuff that are incredibly ordinary things, right? Except for the fact that they were owned by someone who is extraordinary. So look at the person next to you. Tell them with, in all, with all seriousness, you should be in a museum. <laughs> I 
I'm not making a statement on your age or any of that kind of stuff. This is scripture. It's right here. Remember Peter, Peter tells them, he said, you're God's very own possession. Like, like we, we are incredibly ordinary. Christians are ordinary. But our value comes because we are the treasured possession of God. Maybe if nothing else you walk out with today, you just need to know that. That your value comes from belonging to God. He says, you're God's possession, you're chosen, you're royal priests. A royal priesthood. How many of you signed up uh, for the priesthood? How many of you, when you became a Christian, you thought, oh man, today I became a royal priest. That's pretty cool. How many of you in your, you know, when you're filling out an application and they say, uh, you know, give, you, give us your, what's your job description? How many of you write royal priest? Yeah, no one, right? Like, I'm a pastor and I just don't write that. But Peter says, that's, 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 that's who you are. And again, this is, this is deep kind of Old Testament language. We talked about the temple and we talked about the priest. Like, like the job of the priest is, is really simple. The job of the priest is to uh, mediate the presence of God to the people. The job of the priest is, is to, offer, uh, to give offerings or sacrifices on behalf of the people. But, but we're not offering the, the blood of, of goats and, and bulls anymore. Look what it says in Romans chapter 12. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy. What's the word? The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Priests take the sacrifices to God and, and what all of the New Testament and, and even Jesus said is as God is remaking you, rebuilding you, like your job is to mediate the presence of God to people. And, and Christians, we do that through our work. Our work, our, our everyday, all, all of ourself is an offering to God. Everything is done for God. So even the most insignificant tasks shine his glory. Amen. Priests offer sacrifices, but priests also offer access. A priest would have access to God. And his task would be to bring others to him. The privilege of the professional priest has become the privilege of all Christians through Jesus Christ. Uh, there's this word um, sometimes used for, for the pope, uh, 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 the, the Pope is, is the, the word Pope actually means kind of like father or daddy figure, but, but sometimes they use the word pontiff or supreme pontiff. You, have you heard this word pontiff? The, a pontiff is a great, like this is a great word for the job of a priest because the pontiff, the, the word pontiff, the, the name pontiff means bridge builder. And that's who we are to bring 
others into the presence of God. And it's, it's a duty, but it's also a privilege. And this, this duty, this privilege that was once upon a time limited to very few is now given to each and every one of us. And it's for a very specific purpose. I love that uh, the, the second half of verse 9 of chapter 2. I love that Peter includes this. It, it may be my favorite part. So you're, you're being built into this temple. Each of you have an integrate role. Like you, you have this role to play in bringing heaven to earth. Uh, you offer sacrifices of yourself. You build bridges to bring people to you. And he says, and as a result, here's what you get to do. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Man, I, I think as Christians, and, and I want to encourage you and remind you to be about goodness. Man, I, I hate when, when people think about the church or think about Christians, they, they think about you know, being judgmental or hypocritical or whatever, when, when we're supposed to be about goodness. Goodness. If you had a task this week, your, your task is to be good and to spread good. This, uh, this chapter, chapter 2 of, of 1 Peter, if it had a counterpart in the Bible, it might be Psalm 118. Uh, in just a minute, we're going to have a time of communion, and, and uh, uh, we've got the tables with the elements set around. I want you to think about how you're becoming a living stone and, and a bridge builder, and, and I want you to think about the goodness of God. And, and I'm going to read, uh, uh, I just want to, as I send you to communion in just a minute, I'm going to read Psalm 118 over you. Uh, it, it occurs to me that, that, uh, that Peter had Psalm 118 in mind when he was writing this chapter. There are so many themes and so many connections with Psalm 118. It, it just, it seems, it seems incredibly obvious to me. And one of the, the dominant themes is this theme of goodness because Psalm 118 begins and ends with these words. Familiar words. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. How many of you know these words? Man, I was really convicted this week of of, of when, when, when was the last time I really stopped and considered the goodness of God? We just sang about it. And, and, and I even told the worship team this morning, man, I have this, I have this overall sense as a Christian that, that God is good, but, but man, when have, I really, when have I really stopped to think about it? When is it, when is it? When is it just poured out of me? When was the last time you really considered the goodness of God? And I want to I challenge you to do that today. Because I, 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 think, uh, I, think, I think goodness is, is our purpose as Christians. I think goodness is God's desire. I think goodness is, is God's will for us. And, and if sometimes maybe we miss the mark 
by, by a huge measure, but I think we are called to be God's goodness people. So like I said, in just a minute, I'm gonna, I, I want to read this whole psalm. Uh, I just want to read it over you. I, I, I just want you to soak it in as you think about these questions, as you think about these verses. And I want to remind you that you have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity, but now you are God's people. You, you are his own possession and he chose you. Think about this. Like you didn't choose it. He chose you to be a living stone in which his presence may dwell on earth. He chose you to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, to be bridge builders, to show others his goodness. Let me read these words over you as we prepare for a time of communion together. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priest, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who hear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I'll have, I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust even in princes. Though hostile nations surrounded me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Father God, be with us and bless us as we enter into this time of communion. Let your words, let your teaching, let your spirit rest heavily upon us. Build us and shape us. Help us to be mediators of your presence to those around us. 
God, let us know your goodness and uh, let it be a song in our heart. We love you, Father. We remember your son Jesus and his sacrifice for us in these moments. Bless us. In your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,